Genesis chapter 2, starting reading at verse 8. This is God's word. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, That was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the place in its flesh. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amen. We end our reading there at the end of chapter 2. And we thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Well, let's come before God now in prayer and ask him for his help. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the illumination which the Holy Spirit gives to our minds and our hearts so that as we read your holy inspired word, we might understand it, we might believe it, and we might put it into action in our lives. I pray that you would be with us today, that you would help us, that you would help us to see what it is that you are teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're continuing our series in the eldership. And last week we thought through the the great truth that Jesus Christ 
is the sole king and head of his church. And as king, Jesus governs the church by word and spirit through the ministry of men. What that means for us today is that when we think about electing elders in the church, we shouldn't just be thinking about the type of people we think would make good elders. We need to think about what the Bible says makes a good elder. In the coming weeks, we're going to be thinking about specific character traits that an elder should have according to the scriptures. But for today, I want us to look at one important aspect of elders. And that is, according to the Bible, only men are qualified for the office of elder. Women are wonderful. They occupy some very important roles in the church. In fact, I think women hold the most important role in the church. But the role or office of elder is reserved for men only. Now we're going to look at the Bible today to understand that it is God who teaches this. That's not Jamie Maguire. But before we do that, I want to address a few issues. First of all, there is the issue of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. I'm sure you're aware that the Presbyterian Church in Ireland does ordain women to the office of elder, both ruling elder and teaching elder. And you may even know some churches which have female elders. I have to confess This is an area where I believe our church to be in error and acting contrary to the Bible, which is a very sad state of affairs. I also want to tell you that just over three years ago, you called me as your minister. But you need to know that I also applied to be your minister. It was a mutual thing. One of the reasons why I had a personal desire to be your minister is that there are currently no female elders here. And for me, that was a demonstration of the faithfulness to the Bible that you have in this congregation, even in the face of the error of our denomination and the changing winds of the culture of our society. But I do want to be careful and cautious about this topic. I know it's sensitive And I know that it has been mishandled by many in the past. Let me also say, folks, I'm trying to be open and I'm trying to be honest with you. There are many reasons why I feel vulnerable right now. I feel uncomfortable saying much of this. But I am trying to be faithful to what the word of God teaches in an enduring and unchanging way. And for that reason, I feel I must say what I have to say, even though it is uncomfortable, because it's what God requires of me. And finally, before we come to the Bible, let me assure you that you are free to disagree with me on this issue. And I would be happy to talk to anybody about this in private. But I would ask that if you disagree that you disagree on the basis of scripture, not on what you think or feel personally. In the book of Acts, we're told about a group of Christians in a place called Berea. 
Chapter 17 tells us that they were fair-minded because they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In all issues of faith and practice, we need to be like the Bereans, searching the scriptures. And I have to say that the more I search the scriptures on this issue, the more I am convinced. Let's turn now to the Bible and search the scriptures together. The key passage for this is found in 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles open to Genesis 2, where we read from, we will come back to that. But if you could turn with me to 1 Timothy and chapter 2 in the New Testament, that will be really helpful. There is a whole section in chapter 2 which is important here. But to save time for us today, I want to read just verses 12 to 14. And please remember, this is God's word. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with self-control. I want you to see here there are two things Paul says a woman cannot do. A woman is not permitted to teach or to have authority over a man. For this reason, it is clear that it is not possible for a woman to take up the role of teaching elder, that is, to be a minister who preaches. Nor is it permitted for a woman to have authority over a man. In other words, it is not possible for a woman to be a ruling elder either. Now that doesn't mean that women cannot have authority. And we are narrowing our our focus here to within the church. It doesn't even mean that women can't have authority in the church. In truth, if it were not for the women in our congregation the place would fall apart. But in terms of the authority of an elder exercising spiritual oversight of a congregation, a woman is not permitted to hold that office. Now, living in the times which we do, you can imagine this is a controversial passage. Many people have tried to argue against it or to undermine it. One of the most common arguments is that Paul was writing to a certain group of people in a certain place at a certain time. And so what was true for them might not be true for us. In other words, isn't Paul's teaching here just cultural? And being the enlightened people of the 21st century, don't we know better? Well, I would say two things about that. The first is, We need to be very careful about such an argument because it potentially undermines the authority of God's word. Do we believe that some of God's word is not useful for us today? For sure, there are certain things that were given to a certain people in a certain place at a certain time. 
but they always contain principles which are applicable for the people of God in all places at all times. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But the second thing I would say about the cultural argument is that Paul does not allow for that argument to be made. Because look where he points to as a reason for his decision not to permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Can you see where he points? He points to the book of Genesis. He points to the passage we read today. He points to the world before the fall into sin. In other words, he points to a world before culture existed. The world as it was in perfection, without sin. The world which God declared very good and in which the man and woman did not feel any shame. He points to a place where God's perfect design has not been tainted by sin. And so we will return to First Timothy before we finish. But let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Genesis and see if we can understand what God is telling his church today. The clear lesson I want us to see in Genesis chapter 2 is that men and women are created in the image of God to be equal but different. And that is the key term, I think, for understanding this. Equal but different. This has vast implications for life in general. But as I say, I, I want to keep our focus narrow. What we're thinking about is the office of elder in the church. And so in the church, men and women are equal but different. We stand side by side in the calling that God has placed upon all of his people to glorify and enjoy him forever. And this means there are some things that are reserved for women only. And there are other things that are reserved for men only. But in both cases, the roles that men and women have are equally dignified and worthy of respect because they are the calling of Almighty God. So what can we learn from Genesis chapter 2? Well, I want you to notice that the Garden of Eden is more than just a beautiful place of plants and animals. The Garden of Eden is a temple. This is the place where God dwells with his people. There are a number of things in our passage that point us to this. Verses 10 to 14 are details that we could very easily skip over, but we shouldn't. They describe a, a river flowing out of the Garden of Eden. Now, being the source of a river means that the Garden of Eden was on a mountain. And the, in the Bible, a mountain is the place where God meets with his people on the hill of the Lord. As well as that, the materials mentioned in verses 10 to 14, gold and bdellium and onyx, well, those materials are later mentioned in the Old Testament as in the instructions for constructing the tabernacle and temple. This is important for us because while this is obviously God's plan for all people everywhere, its primary application is in the temple, the temple of God. 
And so that means it applies strictly and specifically to us today in the church. Because we are the temple of the living God. This is the plan of God for us in the church. That men and women in the church are like Adam and Eve. Equal, but different. Let's look at Adam and Eve. We're we're going to deal with them separately and, and deal with them in that order because that's the order they were created in. Now that doesn't mean that Adam is any better than Eve just because he was created before Eve was. If that was the case, the animals were created before Adam. So they would be preferred. But the order of creation does help us, I think, in telling us about their roles. Adam teaches us about biblical manhood. Adam has a number of jobs, a number of roles in the garden. Verses 15 to 17 are where we find those. We're told that Adam is to tend the garden. Adam is to keep the garden. And finally, he is the one entrusted with God's command. He's entrusted with the word of God. And all this means that it was down to Adam to have authority over the garden, making sure it was cultivated and properly governed. He's given the task of naming the animals and even naming Eve. He's also to keep the garden, to keep it. That means he has responsibility for protecting the garden from external evil influences. We know Adam will fail at that task. The other role we see for Adam here is that he is entrusted with the word of God. Verses 16 and 17. It's important to notice that it is not Adam and Eve who are given the command. It is Adam alone who is given the command of God. And it is his responsibility to make sure that everyone in the garden knows God's command. And that is why in this congregation, we reserve the role of preaching and teaching during Lord's Day worship to men. When we gather as we are now, we are gathered as the temple of God on earth. And as such, we reserve the role of sharing God's word through reading and preaching to elders who are men. So, Adam's rules in the garden teach us about biblical manhood. They can be summarized as men having responsibility in the church for authority, protection, and sharing God's word in worship. These are rules for the elders in the church and are not for women. Can I also say, this is a weighty responsibility. Not every man in the church might want this responsibility. But as you seek to elect elders, this is who you're looking for. Men who will shoulder the responsibilities of authority, protection, and sharing God's word in worship. And speaking about these responsibilities, we are of course pointed to Jesus, aren't we? To the work of Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. He is the one who governs us, who leads us, and who protects us from sin through his self-sacrificial life and death, as well as his resurrection and ascension. Let's move on. We need to point out verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. 
I will make a helper comparable to him. Even in the Garden of Eden, which was perfect, we are told it is not good for the man to be alone. He needs someone by his side. He needs a helper. And not just any old helper. He needs a helper that is comparable to him. Or as the ESV, the English Standard Version puts it, a helper fit for him. Adam needs someone who will complement him in his roles. Someone who can help him in the task that God has given him. And it is for this reason that Eve teaches us about biblical womanhood. Eve shows us that there are roles reserved for women that men cannot do. Eve is given as a helper to Adam to do things that Adam cannot do himself. And perhaps we see the word helper as a little demeaning or derogatory, but we shouldn't see it that way. In fact, it is Almighty God himself who is described as our helper more than anyone else in the Old Testament. What does Psalm 121 tell us? That he is where our help comes from. Deuteronomy says that he rides the heavens to help us. Eve is given a hugely important role as Adam's helper. And to reiterate, it is a role that Adam cannot do for himself. Just think about this. If Adam were simply to work the ground, then surely more men could have been a good help to him. Or better still, a herd of oxen to pull ploughs and to till the ground. But as we see in the passage, no suitable helper was found for Adam from among all the animals. And so God created one. He created Eve, the only one who could do what she does. Eve and therefore women are uniquely gifted to fulfil this role. Eve's role is to have children who will fill the earth with the image of God. Now I know that not all women can have children. And not all men can either. That's something that Kate and I know the pain of personally. But the pain of not being able to have children is a pointer to the truth that this purpose is deeply embedded in us. And so while Adam and Eve have different roles, they need one another for their roles. They stand side by side in fulfilling the task given to them jointly by God. Their task, if you look at the end of chapter 1, you'll see it. We didn't have this in our reading. Verses 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so in our equal but different role in the church, we don't have women cowering behind the men, nor should they push ahead of men. Rather, men and women stand side by side, each one fulfilling different roles 
to accomplish humanity's ultimate goal of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Women are gifted to do things that men cannot. I think the role of women is the most important role, to nourish children in their own bodies, giving birth to the next generation of men and women. Not only that, women have the role of nurturing the next generation, raising children that know and love the Lord Jesus as their own and personal saviour. Now, yes, men have a role in that too, but I think if we're honest enough and we look at our own homes and particularly for our sake today to the church, isn't it the women who carry the bulk of that burden, nurturing, raising and teaching our young ones? And so there are things that a woman can do that a man cannot do. And there are things that a man can do that a woman cannot. Men and women are complementary. Created by God to be equal but different. And within the church, we stand side by side in our various roles, seeking the glory of God and his Christ. Now, I want to try and move to a close and wrap up by returning to 1 Timothy. But before I do that, there's one last thing I want to show you. And for this, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. This is how a side-by-side relationship works out in practice because what I'm saying today I don't want it to be misheard in the in the bible there are words like head and words like submission or subject these are good and correct but often we hear them incorrectly especially in our day and age so I want to suggest that when we hear headship we should be thinking about service And when we hear submission, we should be thinking about exaltation. Let me read Ephesians chapter 5 for us, starting reading at verse 22. Quite a long reading. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that, she might, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I hope you hear the echoes of Genesis chapter 2 in that passage. Do you see how Christ as our head has served us 
with the greatest love possible. And how we as his bride in the church ought to submit to him by exalting his name above all others. It's clear, isn't it, that in our day, many people have twisted and have distorted this truth of the Bible. The true way men and women are to relate to one another. Men are are harsh and cruel in their rule. And, And women often seek to usurp men in theirs. Of course, that is a result of sin. And that only points us further towards our need for Christ, our Saviour. I think I've gone on perhaps long enough, but let me come back to Timothy, or 1 Timothy, as we finish. God's word is making the point that in the church, men should behave as Adam was supposed to, exercising authority and protection. And women should behave as Eve was supposed to, helping the men as well as nourishing and nurturing the next generation. Of course, I'm speaking in a general way here. There's going to be certain and specific things that each person feels they are called to in the church. But as a general principle, it is true that men are to be godly men and women are to be godly women. Equal but different. Standing side by side to fulfill the calling and command of God. Not because of culture. Instead, the church is to exist outside of and not depend on the culture. And so this is true when it comes to the office of elder being reserved for men only. Of course, we are weak and we are sinful. Every one of us. I know that I am the worst. We fail at this. We fail to keep it properly. But it is the clear command of God. When we fail, we need to ask of forgiveness We need to repent and we need to turn to Jesus, the sole king and head of the church. The one who has bought us with his own blood and who alone can make us pure and spotless and blameless. We strive to honour God's word in the church, even when this is difficult and uncomfortable, because we seek to honour and to glorify him. But when we fail, we fall on Christ for mercy and for grace. To become the men and women we were created to be. Let me pray for us.